It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Apple will have to face the music over its iPhone app store and hundreds of millions of dollars could be at stake. You're listening to Bloomberg Law. I'm June Grosso with Michael Best. If you have an iPhone, you know that you have to buy apps and download them through the app store, even if a third party has developed the app. A consumer lawsuit claims that Apple is monopolizing the market for iPhone apps and collecting 30 percent commissions on the apps with consumers paying for the price. A federal judge dismissed the class action lawsuit in December, but the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals reversed that decision yesterday and ruled the lawsuit can go forward. My guests are prominent antitrust professor Harry First of NYU Law School and Mark Rifkin, a partner at Wolf Haldenstein, who represents the consumers in this case. Mark, explain the issue at this stage of the proceedings. Sure. Hi, June. How are you? The the question that uh, we appealed was the district court's determination that consumers who bought their apps on the iPhone store, as they were required to do, and paid Apple with their credit card, as they were required to do, uh, whether they were direct purchasers from Apple, withstanding under the federal antitrust laws, to bring the lawsuit challenging the 30% fee that Apple tax onto the cost of the apps on the App Store. The district court said that uh, the consumers were indirect purchasers and didn't have standing, and we disagreed. We asked the Ninth Circuit to correct that decision. So, Harry, what did the Ninth Circuit say about this issue? Well, uh, basically, the Ninth Circuit said, go ahead. Um, You have standing uh, to sue. Uh, You're a direct purchaser from Apple through the App Store. Um, So, uh, Harry, do you agree with that? Do you believe, Uh, believe they have standing? Um, that, that seems to me to be the, the right decision. Um, I think it's important that uh, consumers have the ability to challenge um, these restrictions on their freedom to buy uh, the products they want at the price they want. So um, if the plaintiffs can prevail, they will um, be able to show that they have been charged more than they should have uh, for the applications they like to buy. So, Mark, the court has ruled that you have the right to go forward. There's been no ruling about the allegations themselves. Tell us about the allegations. Sure. The, the, the basic allegation is that Apple controls the, the medium of distribution. Technologically, it, it makes uh, iPhones only compatible with applications that are sold through the App Store, and it requires that developers who want to sell apps through the App Store have to agree to this 30% markup that Apple imposes on all the apps that are sold for a price on the App Store. And the plaintiffs say that's anti-competitive, it's the result of Apple's monopoly, and uh, they're entitled to some portion of that 30% back 
because Apple would not be able to charge that fee were it not for their monopoly control over the distribution channel. And so that's the basis of the claim. The the court, this is an outgrowth of a case that has been in the federal court since 2007. The complaint was originally sustained by the district court in California, and then we got sidetracked after the Supreme Court decided the uh, Concepcion case and made us have to arbitrate our claims against AT&T. It reversed what had been existing law on the enforceability of arbitration clauses, and so that sort of sent us back to square one. But now the Ninth Circuit has returned us back to the district court and said, go ahead and proceed with your claim. Harry, a lot of people, or some people anyway, complain about Apple's that Apple tries to be a closed ecosystem, as it were, to keep you inside and keep the customers buying everything from Apple, and that this is sort of of a piece with it. And and that would you know sound like a lot of people might be sympathetic to an antitrust claim here. What do you think about sort of overall on the antitrust implications of how Apple has been running the App Store when you get when we go back and we're beyond standing? Well, I think on the merits, this is. Um, this is an important case, an important issue. Um, it actually extends beyond Apple, um, although Apple is important. I like June's startup where she said, face the music. Um, some of this has to do with music, actually, and Apple's ability to control uh, streaming music. Uh, but if you step back a little bit, this is a very old problem in antitrust, almost from um, the beginning of the antitrust laws um, at the turn of the 20th century, uh, 19th century, sorry, um, and uh, basically, uh, manufacturers that sell a product which needs a second product to operate it have long tried to force consumers to, once they bought the first product, to buy the second one. So a familiar one for all, uh, lots of people is printers and ink. Um, buy my printer, you have to buy the ink for me. Razors and blades, Barbie dolls and clothes, cameras and film when you used to have to buy film. Uh, computer operating systems and applications. So um, par- uh, sellers of this first product have long tried to force us to buy the second one, sometimes by contracts and sometimes by designing the product in a way that uh, you can't buy it from someone else. And um, uh, both competitors of uh, in the second product and consumers who want to buy the second product from someone else have long tried to sue often successfully. Uh, so this, again, it's a, it's a long-standing problem in lots of areas. Uh, with Apple, it's, um, Apple has done this in other areas, too. They did it with the iPod um, and uh, music through the iTunes store. Uh, so there were long-standing restrictions to prevent consumers from downloading music from someone else. Um, so, and there are lots of other restrictions other than the ones um, that the plaintiffs are complaining about directly in this case. Um, so it is a broad problem, and if you think that markets should work properly and consumers should have choice, you would want to see something done about it, in, and this is a case like that. Mark, put yourself on the other side of the equation, on Apple's side. What is Apple's strongest argument well, don't be speechless now. <laughs> June, I think their strongest argument would be to find somebody else other than me to be on the other side. But but that having been said, I, I think what, what Apple's principal defense is, look, people have a right to choose what products they want. And if you want an iPhone, you, you buy an iPhone with your eyes open. 
And yes, we lock you in. Harry's talking about a concept in the antitrust law that we call unlock in. Yes, it's true. We lock you in. But aren't you really happy being locked into Apple because of all the wonderful things we do? One of which is we very carefully vet the, the apps that can be sold on the App Store to make sure that they're not harmful to you or your iPhone or your computer or anything else and that you get good quality service and so on and so forth. And none of that comes free. Well, we take a different view of, of what the lock-in is all about. Harry, given the importance of this issue as you've outlined it, do you think that this is the kind of case Apple is going to want to litigate or will they want to try to figure out some way to settle it so that they can preserve as much of their power as they want? To, as they want? Well, I, I never like to um, uh, second-guess uh, litigants particularly, but um, if you look at Apple's past practices, they have been um, a vigorous litigator in all of this, all of these cases. Um, and um, uh, I don't know how Mark feels about this, but um, my guess is that they'll continue to litigate this. And they are um, really, as Mark explained, not without defenses in this case. And um, you know, the courts will. Um, it, it, I don't think it's a laydown case on either side. So I would expect them to continue to um, uh, to litigate vigorously. Michael Harry's right. It's they, they litigate vigorously. We've been at this now for a number of years. But the truth is there's there's lots of enormous risk on both sides of this case. And that's the sort of thing that generally causes people to try to resolve disputes. We will keep following this case. I want to thank you both for being on Bloomberg Law. That's Mark Rifkin, a partner at Wolf Haldenstein, who represents the plaintiffs in the case against Apple, and antitrust professor Harry First of NYU Law School. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.